All right, well, good morning, everyone. I do, um, I want to speak to you this morning about um, living your why. Um, I, uh, a friend of mine wrote a book a couple of years ago uh, called Know Your Why. And, um, and there's a lot of stuff within uh, our journey as a church and journey as Christians where uh, we believe that it's, it's our assignment to know more. Uh, I'm fully convinced that you lot know more than enough. <laughs> And that actually there's a process of taking revelation such that it would be realized. That actually there's a living out of the things that we know that is actually part of the maturing journey of the normal Christian life. Um, that obviously in a, in a room like this, there, there are people that have been Christians a short while, come to know the love of Jesus, come to be reconciled to God. And that's amazing. You're on this kind of beginning the journey of looking at what the normal Christian life looks like and what it looks like to, to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, to be an apprentice of Jesus, to be with Jesus and to know Jesus. You're figuring that out. But many of you in this room have, have been following Jesus for many, many years. And there's a great amount of knowledge that you've acquired as you've dived into scriptures. You've been around a community of faith and you've uh, been discipled yourself. But listen, I, I'm fully convinced that, um, that part of anything that lands in our headspace that we know things that we discover from the Word of God, things that we discover in community and, and through the personal work of the Spirit cultivating some things in us internally, it's all that it would be reflected in how we live our lives. Like this is not, a, this is not an educational class that we commit to once a week. This is not a cerebral exercise where we come and, and in some vain attempt try to gain more knowledge. This is a, a life-defining, living, breathing faith where what, what God does in us, he wants to do through us. And so I want to talk to you this morning about um, living your why. And, and I want to talk very briefly because I want to tell you what I think I've discovered around why we would even exist as a church. I want to talk to you about the why of church and things that I feel like I'm beginning to start to understand and the journey that we've been on as a community and bringing that into sharp focus. Uh, and, and then actually, I think this morning, if we have time, I want to give a little bit of time for a bit of um, question and answer just around this whole thing that I want to talk about this morning. There's no greater example of somebody who, who knew their why, who, who took hold of their why and lived that out in the reality of, of how they express their life on earth. And that we find in the life of Jesus. I want to bring a verse to you, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I want to read it from the Amplified Version because this version squeezes everything out of the Greek that we might need to understand fully what this verse might mean. Verse 2, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. Come on to that. Take hold of that word. We're going to come on to that in a little while. Who, for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him, endured the cross. Jesus, who, for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him, endured the cross. We get a little window into the deep, profound reality of the why behind Jesus' life and how he lived his life according to this purpose. And in fact, so much so was able to endure excruciating pain onto the cross because of something, this goal, this why that lay beyond what he would do on the cross. 
you know, Jesus helped us understand that, that actually the writer of Hebrews, right at the very beginning of this verse, is he just sets it up to help us understand like the, 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 the core essentials to discipleship, the core essentials to following Jesus. Set your eyes on Jesus. Don't be distracted. He is a, he's an author. He's writing a story in the context of your life. He's the first incentive for our belief. He's the one that we go to. He's the one that, that begins the journey. He's the one that is writing the story. And ultimately, he's the one that ends the story in our life. And he's the one that brings maturity. A goal of every believer is maturity. But in the context of that, the, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say that there was, a, there was a goal that was set before Jesus' life that he saw. It was a reality. And encapsulated in that goal was, was connected to a, a life-altering joy. I actually believe that in, in the life of Jesus, as, he would, as, he, as the days and the hours led up to the reality of him dying on a cross, living a life that we could never live, but dying a death we could never die, but then being rose again. That in the midst of that, there was a joy that Jesus found. He was connected to a, a much more profound reality than the trial and the challenge and the, uh, the pain of what he would experience on the cross because he was connected to every single one of you. Look around this room. You are the joy that Jesus held in front of his life as he endured the cross. You are the one that he went to the cross for. You are the one that he endured great suffering, great pain. You are the one. You are his joy. Now, if Jesus could endure great trial, great pain, great tribulation, great um, opposition in this process of him going and fulfilling his call, but could do it in such a way that he held in front of him the greater why, the greater goal, he could hold in front of him you. How much more do we need to be connected to the deep sense of the why? Why, are we even, why do we exist? Why are we alive? What is, the, what is the reality of why we would gather? What is the reality of the normal Christian life? Why? And I want, um, th there are so many whys that we could attach our lives to. But I want to, from that verse, I want us to help you understand that actually being attached to a deep, profound why is one of the reasons why we can move beyond any trial, tribulation, pain that this life might throw at us. Being connected to a much bigger why actually is so critical to us moving through any season of life that might come against us because we're connected to something much bigger. That's what Jesus was connected to. He was connected to the why of his life, the goal of his life, the joy of his life held in front of him as he moved through and towards and onto the cross. But I've often asked, and I do ask ourselves the question here in terms of why church? And I, I, I want us to focus just this morning on the context of church. Why, why church? And ask the question, what on earth are we doing? How many of you ever like get to a point of frustration in your life and you're like, what on earth am I doing? Just me? What on earth am I doing? I think it's a very healthy question for church communities to ask all the times. What on earth are we doing? 
And I could throw in a, 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 a baseline statement that says, well, we know that, that when, when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. So in some level, what on earth are we doing is, is encapsulated in Jesus' encouragement for us to, to pray and to live out the reality of bringing the reality of heaven on earth. Like that, that's a great why to begin with. But interestingly, I think that, that this why, bringing heaven to earth, when we're asking the question, what on earth are we doing? That this question is really helpful, not just at a corporate level, like what are we doing as a church, but individually, what, what do I exist for? What's my why? How do I anchor myself to, connect myself to, be, create momentum in my own life when I discover why? What has God got for me? I remember um, probably about five years or so ago, I, I was um, at a conference in LA and, and on, on the Sunday we'd finished the conference and we decided to go to a church um, in LA. You don't need to know which one it was. A big church known around the world. And, um, and we got to spend a little bit of time with the, the, some of the leaders. And... Um, one of the things that the leaders wanted to show me was um, we just got talking about church, like, hey, how do you build church? What, what are you doing here? Like, all of that kind of stuff. And they showed me an app, which this whole movement of churches, which is a movement of churches across the world. And the leaders have an app. Um, and what happens is that the, um, if you lead a team in that church or if you're the church leader, you, you have your own profile and you go on that profile and there are certain things that you have to log in every week. And it was just fascinating to me that these were some of the, some of the goals, some of the measurements for what the church was measuring. And one, a few of the things which we dived into on this app, which was pretty interesting, were um, how many people showed up on Sunday? Attendance. So that was the first page. That was the thing that you had to that you had to fill in. How many people showed up at the various different services? So it was the numbers. How many numbers? And then the, the second um, thing was um, how many people were serving on teams on that Sunday? And then the third, um, third little place that um, was there for you to enter in detail was how many salvations on the Sunday? And then there were a bunch of other like um, metrics that, that needed to be filled in that, that went to head office that effectively would gauge the reality of, of success. Was, was one week better than the next? Was one year better than the previous year? In some sense, there were some metrics connected to some goals that they wanted to track. I understand that. It's helpful to kind of track like where are we and, and how, what we're doing. And, but metrics and goals are really are what help you understand why. They, they help you crack open and, and scratch below the surface as to why, because whatever you value, whatever you are counting as a metric to move towards, really are the things that you are of great value to you, the things of worth and the things that actually drive your why. And um, I came away from that morning like deeply uncomfortable because I thought, like, is this what, We've boiled church down to, like how many people show up on a Sunday, how much money's being given, and how many people serve on teams. Like, is that genuinely like the metrics for success of church? And pretty much for five years, that um, encounter, and again, it may come across that I'm entirely negative towards that. I probably am. Um, but it was a, it was a really um, poignant moment in my journey because I was like, oh, I... 
I don't ever want to get sucked into the metrics of success of how many people show up on a Sunday. I never want to gauge success on how big a church is. I never want to gauge success on, on how much money is coming in. I never want to gauge success on, on, on how many people are connecting to teams on a Sunday. I just, I just don't ever want to do it, and I won't do it. But it began a journey for me of, of trying to discover what, what on earth are we doing? Like what are, if we're not trying to grow a big church, if numbers aren't our goal, if we're not trying to get more money, if that's not our goal, if we're not trying to see at some level that success is gauged by the number of people that jump onto teams, then, then what is the goal? What is our why? And I feel like that's been a journey for me for a number of years, and both in terms of diving into scripture and then also just experimenting with some of that stuff here. I met with a church leader who's, um, who, sorry, somebody from our community that had been a church leader for a number of years and joined recently, about nine months ago. And it was just really interesting reflecting back on his own journey as a church leader and some of the things that he was discovering here in Vine Life. And it, he used this word, and I, I don't want anybody to be offended by this, but he said, Vine Life's like this great experiment. And I'm like, okay, that could be perceived like highly offensive at one level, but actually I agree with him. In many ways, like we're not wired the same. We don't have the same metric goals that many other communities do. And I'm not saying it's a question of right and wrong. I'm just saying we're different. And I'm okay with that different. And I'm okay going on a journey with you lot and experimenting like what is the reason we exist? And I want to place at the forefront of your mind um, something that I believe is the primary goal of why we would exist as a church. If we were to hold together corporately a, uh, something in front of us that we would be able to say, no, no, we're connected to this and this is why we're around one another. This is why we show up. This is why we exist as a church. I'd want to say that maturity is one of our, one of our biggest whys. Maturity. Which is really hard because there's no app that, and there's no metrics that really clearly define the, the success of maturity, right? Bums on seats, I can count. Maturity, a little harder to gauge. Because I want to, as a community, be growing and maturing. I want us to move forward into everything that God's got for us. And if the, the journey of that is a journey of maturity, as well, given the fact that there are different people of different ages, life stages, different um, Seasons with Jesus, some people that have just come to know him, some people that have been walking with him for 30, 40 years. And in this room, there is a, there is a multitude, a variety of different maturities. And that's not a bad thing, it's just reality. So how on earth do we gauge the metric of maturity in this community? Well, at some level, I, I don't know that I want to be driven by metrics anyway. I want to build family. And in the context of family, it gives us a beautiful understanding of, of really what maturity is. Now, I didn't land on this thing, this idea of maturity, just because I like it or I think it's good. I, I find it in Scripture. We found it even in that verse that we just read from Hebrews. The part of, part of what it is to, to follow Jesus, to be an apprentice of Jesus, to be with him and to be like him, 
to be a disciple of Jesus, that, that ultimately the goal of that is that he would bring us to maturity. Throughout the whole of the New Testament, you find countless examples of where, particularly in the formation of the early church, the, the leaders would remind one another about what they exist for. And they would talk about um, seeing maturity. They would talk about seeing growth. They would talk about um, a sense of forward um, momentum that means that, that tomorrow we're different than how we are today. Maturity. Paul, throughout all of his writings to the various churches that began um, in the early church, he would constantly bring them back to this purpose, this why of maturity. Let's just look at one example. Colossians 1, 28 and 29 says this, and this is talking about Jesus. He says, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. This is what Paul says. He says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Listen, this was a big deal for Paul one of the early fathers of the early church, somebody who connected as a disciple of Jesus with what it took to to grow in this discipleship journey. And he was building into the infrastructure of the, the early church this desire and design for growth. This desire and design for maturity. That's what he said. That's what he said he would contend for, strenuously contend for, with every ounce of who he was. He would pour into the infrastructure of maturity in the church, right? That was good enough for Paul. I think it's good enough for us to consider I want to lay my life down to strenuously contend for how we show up as a community in our maturing journey. Knowing that that is not linear, it's not. It doesn't have any uniformity to it, but it does have unity. Uniformity means that maturity would just look like us all doing the same thing, but there's a vast amount of different people in here. But unity says as a family, we can hold in front of us the great why of maturity. Why do we exist? Why are we sat next to the person next to us? Are we just connected to some religious expression of of meetings that happen to forge us together on a couple of hours on a Sunday morning? Or are we a family on a journey growing up? That's what I believe is in the infrastructure of the kingdom of heaven as it is reflected into the purpose of why we would exist as a church. I think about it like this in in my own family. You know... I've said this countless times before, but I'll say it again. You know, when, when my little kids were babies and their first teeth started popping out, I would buy them a toothbrush, I'd buy them toothpaste, and twice a day I would put the toothpaste on the toothbrush, put the toothbrush in the mouth, wiggle it around, do it morning and night, right? My goal was not that when Luke is 25, I am going around to his house with a toothbrush and toothpaste, putting it in his mouth, wiggling it around and going, you really need to brush your teeth. The goal of maturity in a family is that we grow up, we discover something of value and we begin to own that for ourselves. It becomes part of our own life. It's actually the the same journey that we see in in the reflection of how the Old Testament and the New Testament were. When I had to externally motivate Luke in his personal hygiene, and it still happens, 
He's actually pretty good at his showers. But, but in immaturity, or when you're young in a family, you need a great deal of external motivation to help you find the value of something for yourself so that that value becomes reflected in your own life and the way you live. It's the journey from Old Testament to New Testament. In the Old Testament, there was a set of rules written down. And listen, you didn't, you didn't kill somebody because you would be dragged out into the street and you would be stoned. There was a high external motivation, i.e., if you kill somebody, we will kill you. You will get dragged out and you will be stoned. This was Old Testament law. You were externally motivated to keep the rules, right? That's Old Testament, Old Covenant. As we bring ourselves into the New Covenant, where is the law written? It's not a trick question. It's written on our hearts. It goes from being externally motivated to being internally motivated. That actually there there. There is a law, but it's written on my heart. And my goal is a deep connection with God. I'm not externally motivated by punishment. I'm internally motivated by a value for connection with God. And I live my life according to nurturing and seeing the reality of that connection with God stewarded with my life. I don't need, I don't need fear to tell me, keep the rules because we'll drag you out into the street and stone you. I need to cultivate the internal dialogue of my heart with God in such a way that I'm maturing, that I'm growing up, that I am no longer externally motivated, but I'm internally motivated. That's the journey of maturity, that we go from a level of dependence on others or structures or things that would be externally motivating and we move towards being internally motivated that the life of the Spirit begins to nurture fruit that would show up on my life. And so in this question of, of why do we even exist, one of the critical questions that you can ask yourself is, who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? And maybe for some of you, that isn't really a question that's ever broached your mind because at some level it's not about who am I becoming it's been more about what am I doing and I know that I have to show up to church I have to do certain things I'm externally motivated by a sense of duty and obligation but ultimately that external motivation is only good as long as you can beat yourself up long enough to hold it all together But asking the question, who am I becoming, asks a much more profound question of my, my life and, and my maturation process, the journey of maturity that I'm on, which acknowledges where I am. That's the beauty of being able to ask the question, who, who am I becoming? Because you, you only really can ask that question through the, through the lens of, I know where I am. But actually, I know where Holy Spirit is taking me. I know this area in my life where I know I need to grow. This, this aspect of the normal Christian life that I have all the knowledge on, but I don't have the outworking on. I have lots of principles, but I don't have a great practice. The maturity journey for each one of us is recognizing this is where I'm starting, but this is where I'm going. And asking the question, who am I becoming, is a really critical question for every one of you to ask. 
And in the midst of that, again, as we, as we think not just about your individual life, but what about us as a journey, as a, as a community, as a family? I think the reality is that in and amongst every single one of you, perhaps this morning, asking the question, who am I becoming? There is a much broader question, which is, who are we becoming? That there's a, a collective purpose. There's a collective why. There's a collective maturity journey that we're all on that says, there's enough of us that say, no, that's who I'm becoming. And we start running in that direction that we create momentum. Listen, Culture is formed in the maturity journey between who I'm becoming and who we're becoming. That's where culture is formed. We as a church community, we live and breathe in the context of a culture which isn't set from a pulpit or a platform. It's set from a group of people that say, yep, that's who we're becoming. That individually, on this journey of maturity, they say, you know what, we're becoming a more supernatural people. We're becoming a more missional people. We're becoming a more dedicated people. We're becoming a more disciplined people. We're becoming more of a spirit-filled people. This is who we're becoming. And culture is built around enough people running in the same direction, creating momentum together. This is why we exist. Maturity is what we're going after. And it is, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives individually. Listen, this is not an opportunity for, for you to go away and say, well, I really must brush up on some stuff that I should be doing that is part of the normal Christian life. This is entirely a journey of surrender, right? This is entirely a journey of how do I surrender my life daily to God? How do I ask daily for the personal work of the Spirit to come and fill me again and empower me to live the normal Christian life? How do I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus in every moment of the day so that the journey I'm on is a journey of maturity, that I'm growing up? And much of how we build church here really is, is in the context of we're a body of people growing up. The metrics of success for me are not a big church, it's big people. The metrics of success is not how many people I can gather here on a Sunday, but how many qualified sons and daughters, and when I say qualified, that happened at the cross, qualified sons and daughters who leave this place and begin to scatter into every fabric of our city. That's success for me. Success is a body of people that will own an individual and a corporate level that, that we need to grow up, that there are things that we need to experience together as the normal Christian life that we don't yet experience. That's my parameter of success. My parameter of success is not how do I take off you the responsibility of the normal Christian life because you're not doing it. How do I assimilate that into the operational administrative role of the church? That's not my goal. When I think about mission, and this is, listen, this is what we find in many, many churches. I talk to lots of church leaders who are frustrated that they're not seeing people saved. And so they've assimilated into the operational administrative role of the church mission. And they've said, listen, all you need to do, because you're not very good at it, just invite people to church and we'll take over and do the rest. I don't believe that is the mandate on every believer's life to go and make disciples of all nations. That is not the role and responsibility of the church. It's on the responsibility of the individual. 
And so as we, as we explore and, and maybe we do experiment with what does our culture look like? How do we get enough people moving in the right direction to being, begin to start to shift and grow and mature together? I want to hold in front of you this deep, profound why. This deep, profound why that will be built into the fabric of what we do and why we do it. And that is, is that we're a family growing up. That there are lots of formed things that we do, but the goal is never the formed, it's the unformed. It's where your life shows up in the bus, on the bus, in the cubicle, in your neighborhoods. That's where the unformed, and that's where the kingdom of God gets extended, in and through your life. I want to give um, a few minutes, um, just a bit of question and answer, because we rarely get this opportunity where we're all in the same room together. How many of you have liked being in the same room together this morning? We'll be back to two services in a month. Um, but I realize that, that many of you have got lots of different reasons why you, why you show up to church. But me even just, I think, just making it plain, like we exist to grow up as a family, to mature, to grow up. Um, there are, you know, for us, we think highly intentionally about how that gets played out. We're not just hoping that that will happen doesn't happen by accident, it happens by design. And a lot of where for Sarah and I and how we build the infrastructure of our community and family is towards how and where are we growing up. But I realize I, in throwing this concept out there of maturity, it might stir some questions. And, and I want, if, you, if we've got some questions, that'd be great. If not, that's fine too. But if there are questions just around that particular thing that I've talked about this morning, whether Adam and Eve have belly buttons or not, is not the question this morning. Uh, once saved, always saved, not the question for this morning. But if there are things that I've maybe shared that uh, just create a bit of a void or a bit of a question um, for you, then feel free to ask, ask it and we'll spend the next 10 minutes or so just talking because this is a bit of a conversation. Bill, um, those of us who are parents know what it's like to sort of sit in bed at night, although by then we, we may well be exhausted, but we might um, think about what it is we want to do to help our children become complete. Um, you're a kind of spiritual father, I guess, of, of us. There are other people in the congregation who are fathers and mothers to the congregation, but um, you've just brought up um, this issue of becoming complete, becoming mature. Um, Now's your chance. What is it that you believe that you, what would you be, you know, most concerned about as you lie in bed at night and think about vine life uh, in terms of it reaching maturity? Would there be something that would come immediately to your mind? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. I think concern maybe, uh, it wouldn't be concern. I genuinely love leading this community. Uh, it's, you are not hard work um, at all. Um, mainly because I think we're building the infrastructure of family. If I was to look at a critical issue as we move forward, it is um, in our community the ability for us to raise up healthy mums and dads who will raise up healthy sons and daughters, who will become healthy mums and dads, who will raise up healthy sons and daughters. If we're, um, There are often unmet needs that get popped up, pop up in a community. What typically happens in church life is that is where there's unmet need, a leader will build something, a program to fix that need. I'm convinced that we're not supposed to build programs, we're supposed to build people. It takes more time, but I feel like that is, 
would be what I would want to see accelerated in our community. How do we, how do we, first of all, how do we, how do we, you and I own the maturity journey such that we say, actually, I do need to be, I, I, I want to become a spiritual mom and dad in this community. And that doesn't look like, give me a ministry, give me a title. It just means like, Holy Spirit, would you show me who around me, I have enough capacity in and of myself to then begin to start to pour into other people. It's just what mums and dads do. And then in that process, begin to, begin to ask Holy Spirit, who is it that I'm supposed to be reaching out to? Who am I supposed to be spending time with? Who am I supposed to give of my life to to help in their maturity journey? And that's what I want to see accelerated in our community because it, it would be easy in this growth journey just to start building things that, that fix all, all of these problems. But I'm convinced that we're not supposed to build those things. We're supposed to build people, not programs. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't concern me, but it, it is something that I guess we're really trying to sharpen our focus around. Great question, Phil. Anybody else? There was one over here. Um, yeah, I've reached that point in life where um, all three of my kids are married and, you know, we've had to let them go. Um, they're establishing their own places. Uh, they've each got a, a home and, um, you know, family's starting for them. And um, we see them less often, but we love them and, we, you know, we see them when we can and, and enjoy that. And I suppose really um, with what you've shared this morning, uh, my thoughts are along the lines of how... As, you, as a community, you grow to such an extent. Um, do you have a plan for sort of releasing and planting out into places other than the centre of Manchester? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to not answer that question <laughs> first, but then I will come on to that. Um, um, seeing things scale and having a plan for scale is really important. Uh, having a plan for... Uh, generational thinking, um, building a culture that is not hierarchical but that is empowering. All of those things would be built into the infrastructure of how we try to build church community. Um, in that, I guess, um, the, the specific question you've asked about um, about planting potentially or beginning to raise up leaders, um, I absolutely agree with, and I feel like the Lord's really highlighting that at the moment. I think for the last couple of years, we've been really trying to address the issue in the church generally. And this is the conversation I'm having with so many church leaders. And is that we, 98% of you lot will never influence people from behind a pulpit. And yet seemingly we make Christian ministry or the work that somebody might do for a church, either in a paid capacity or we make that the pinnacle of Christian ministry. And while we do that, we, we exalt and celebrate the 2%, whilst I think completely disempower the 98%. We've been on a bit of a, I think, pendulum swing journey of how do, you know, little things like our church, my story. We don't do that because we think, oh, wouldn't it be nice to tell some stories? This is, a, this is what we celebrate because we wanted to see it replicated. That ultimately, we, we, every single Sunday, will give moments of time for people to to explain and share how they're showing up and leading in the city, the 98% that are called and have a unique assignment to go and extend the kingdom beyond the walls of the church. In all of that, 
and accelerating that and establishing that as a core value in our community, that ultimately um, that it is the 98% that are going to change the world. We also recognize that there, there is the infrastructure of family and there's leadership and there is a 2% that we need to begin to start, not start to, um, yeah, just be considerate of as we begin to not build hierarchy, but allow for leadership to grow and actually other the, those for those that are supposed to go and plant other churches, uh, for those that are supposed to go into leading and building in the infrastructure of church family, that is something we are highly conscious of, especially as we've been so intentional to swing the balance towards how do we empower the whole church um, as opposed to everyone looking at, well, it's just what the church does. That's the most important thing. Like it is actually how do we incubate dreams in this room, not how do we ask you to lay them down at the door and come and serve my dream. But in that, I think it's a great question. It's something we are processing. For Sarah and I, we, uh, the last couple of years, behind the scenes, we've had just the com- complete privilege of God opening up lots of opportunities for us to go and share some of this great experiment <laughs> um, with people. Like, we're not at the end of the journey. I, like, I'm not writing a manual on how to do this. I'm not, like, this is not a model you can pick up. It's something we're just figuring out. We got, Sarah and I went to speak to um, one of the sphere uh, for New Frontiers in various different spheres, and they asked Sarah and I to go and speak to them about what we've learned. And I said, no, I'll come and tell you what we're learning, because <laughs> we're just like literally making it up as we go along, trying to be faithful to what we see in the Bible, trying to be faithful to building family, all of those kind of things. But there is accelerated conversations around, look, how do we raise up um, not just um, a, a family of spiritual mums and dads, but the recognition that there is, there is order and structure in family, and so there is leadership in family, and so not being afraid to raise up the next generation of leaders. It's in our DNA. My parents, for when they led the church for 20 years, they planted 19 churches. It's pretty prolific in terms of a community that has the kind of story that we actually have in our history. And so it's in me to, to consider that and to know that that's part of our future, Timing is just a real issue in that. But we're definitely, like Greater Manchester, the Lord's really speaking to us at the moment, um, really speaking to us about some of the areas that um, he's burdened our heart with. Right now, that's really, we're contending for that stuff in prayer and just asking God to make it clear what we should do. Some of it, I think, will, for our future, will we'll, uh, pivot around us having a home. It means that when we can point resource at, a different, at, at different things. So some of that I'm really feeling like, this building thing that we're right in the threshes, threshold of is, is part of that story. But great question. Sorry I didn't answer it as well as I know you would want me to. Great question. There was somebody down here. Hiya. Um, so you said that it's not the church's responsibility to make disciples of all nations. I just want you to go a bit deeper into that. Yeah, great. Um, I think... That um, assignment um, is a discipleship issue, which means that it, it is an individual, it is those that follow Jesus, it's on their lives to disciple nations. The whole replication of, of discipleship, there's parents going out to get their kids, it's fine. Um, the whole replication of the, of the discipleship journey and what Jesus modeled with the 12 and where that grew from and what we see birthed in the early church it didn't rest itself on the organization. When you read Acts 2, there is a, um, there's a, 
a beautiful part of the early church history, which is highlighted to us as, as, as the church. Often we look at that and think that's a list of like what the, what the church should be doing. It's actually not. It's a, in some measure, it's not. It's actually an expression of values that a community of people discovered. And in the midst of them discovering those values, they saw people added to their number daily. They saw the exponential growth of the kingdom. Um, I feel like, to answer your question, I don't, all, I don't necessarily believe that we as a local church, like in me saying mission is, is, is part of the normal Christian life, therefore it's your responsibility. I'm not removing the responsibility of us as a community to nurture and to mature and to grow in that thing. The fivefold ministry, if you read in Ephesians, these giftings that were given to the church, they weren't given so that they just show up on staff or that they have business cards. They were given for the maturity of the body. So when I think about evangelism in particular, one of the challenges of this notion of evangelism is that we have a very strong model out there, which is evangelists should just be out there um, seeing the lost saved, and that's, that's their job. But actually, the mandate, uh, the Great Commission didn't rest simply just on evangelists. The Great Commission rested on every believer's life. And actually, if I was to be really contentious, I would say that we need less evangelists out there, we need more evangelists in here, because it's, it's for them to provoke, to stir, and to equip so that we are a missional evangelistic people, so that we grow in maturity in evangelism. And so I, you know, for, for me, it's, it's not just simply, and I think if I could be really contentious, I genuinely feel like the church, broad brush, the church has kept people immature in this whole area of evangelism and mission because they have, they've taken the, respon- the personal responsibility of the normal Christian life and they've assimilated it into a program that the church provides. Now, I t- talked to lots of church leaders, and most of those programs were born out of a frustration that you lot aren't doing a very good job. Like, you're not doing it, so I'm going to do it for you, and I'm going to do it better because I can do it in a big room with a stage and a microphone. And I'm like, uh... And, and what that does is it disseminates the normal Christian life responsibility around mission to just invite somebody to something. And that's not the Great Commission. That it isn't, and that may be part of it. Now, I'm not saying that churches should never organize um, formed aspects of mission. We used to do breakout Sundays years ago where we went and did prophetic evangelism. The whole reason I think, if I'm looking through the lens of our church is a family that is looking to grow and mature, then I need to provide lots of opportunities for people to grow and mature. And so there are formed things that we will do that are places where we get to all grow. But I'm, I'm not going to take off you the normal responsibility for sharing and showing Jesus with people. It's just not my job to do that. I mean, it is my job individually, but it's not our operational job. But I, we, we do need to create opportunities for people to mature and opportunities for people to learn. And so like with prophetic evangelism, it wasn't that somebody came on Breakout Sunday and said, tick, done evangelism for this month, see you next month. It was so that they could find places where they could build up the courage, so they could experiment, so that they could take risks, so they could be alongside other people that have been hearing God's voice for the lost and for the lonely and the vulnerable more than I have. And I can learn from them. And then actually in that formed safe environment, I can know that actually when I'm on the bus or I'm in my cubicle, 
I'm not waiting till next time we do a breakout Sunday. Every day's breakout Sunday. Every moment is I'm walking with God and knowing that my, the mandate of my life is to extend the kingdom. So I think it's, it's playing with some of those ideas and realizing that what we do as a, as a formed community is definitely there to help the maturity level go up. Good question. One last question, then we'll be done. Anybody else? Andrew. Do it through the medium of dance, Andrew. <laughs> it would be my pleasure. Uh, really quick question then. So if Fine Life is an experiment and we kind of own that, um, I guess the question is what, what might we be experimenting with next? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I want us to never use that experiment word again. <laughs> I used it anecdotally because somebody else said it. It would be frightening to people to think they were an experiment. But I appreciate your question. This is, this is what I've come to, to experience. I mainly experience this in the context of a group of church leaders in the city that I meet with fairly regularly, especially around the turn of the year when everyone's like desperately trying to find the, what's this next year, what are we doing this next year, what's the word for this next year, what's the context for this next year. Um, we can lay the next 50, 60, 70 years of our lives down under this one thing. I'm not looking to, I'm actually, in, in essence, mature, if I was to gauge any sort of sense of maturity, if there were some parameters of maturity, it would be, I'm bigger, stronger, more effective, I'm seeing more fruit from the things that I'm laying my life down for as I follow Jesus. And so that is just a lifelong journey. I don't think we arrive, I don't think it's like, oh yeah, we've got the supernatural down now, because like if everyone is praying for this, if everyone's praying for the sick all the time and seeing everyone healed, like I won't talk on the supernatural and healing again, like because you've obviously like you're obviously got it. But actually, at some level, part of family as well is acknowledging there will be people who are taking their first steps, and there are people that are taking their thousand step, which is the joy of family because we get to do this stuff together. But there is a it is worth acknowledging that I don't think it's a a moment of graduation onto the next thing, but there's a deepening of community. There's a deepening of where those things are, are, um, are entrusted and um, elevated and stirred up in other people who we're walking with. And I think that's just a lifelong journey. Um, I know that again probably doesn't... It, yeah, I don't think there is a next thing. I'm, I'm not really looking for it, so I'm not... Maybe I should. Yeah, I don't think it's the next thing. Great question, though. Thanks. I really appreciate these questions. It helps stir conversation and, and all that stuff. Um, never, let's, let's never tell anybody we're a great experiment. All right? Everyone happy with that? <laughs> can, I, um, can I pray for you? Why don't you stand?